Hi guys, welcome to the Five Fitness Podcast with me, Paul. Um, today is a little bit different because um, it's me getting interviewed on my own podcast. Um, so, um, Coach Ross, Ross Tenney, um, who is a fellow coach, um, he his girlfriend is one of my ex-clients, and um, he competes, he and myself have very similar paradigms in the fact that we disagree with all the shit that's out there and we agree with all the good stuff. Um, and yeah, we have a really interesting conversation all about my Slim and Well journey. So I hope you enjoy it. Any questions? So welcome back to the next episode of the Get Track podcast. I have Mr. Paul Ellis, who is a very, I would say, a controversial character through some of the practices that he's showing on his social media at the moment. Um, and there's one subject I kind of wanted to get into. So welcome to the podcast, Paul. It's good to kind of meet you, even though we've had sort of a bit of a chat before we've started recording. Um, it's been nice yeah. to get into your mind and the things you do, the sort of practices you follow, and there's one subject. So just more for the benefit of my sort of viewers, my listeners, should you say, um, just give yourself a bit of an introduction of who you are, what it is you do, and what you kind of believe in. Um, so I'm Paul, as Ross has kindly introduced me as. Um, so I started PT in 2014 when I finished my undergrad, mainly because I didn't know what to do afterwards. Um, obviously came out of that thinking I was like the best PT that's ever been, because that's that's what six weeks will do to you. Um, yeah, and then I basically found that even though I knew how to actually train people to an extent, like you don't ever see results. Like as a box standard PT, like back then, it's almost 10 years ago now, you, didn't, you never really saw the results because like, I had absolutely no grasp on nutrition. Like, I don't think calories were ever mentioned in my nutrition course. No. Uh, my fitness be, was barely even a thing. They seem to be more mentioned more in nowadays science, I guess you could call it, than ever before. Because you look at back at sort of old practices of how old diet plans used to be set. Like, as we were just sort of talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger and that sort of era. It was literally just handwritten sheet of paper with your nutrition on it. There was no calculations, no science behind it. It was literally eat this, do the training, and off you go. Whereas now it's a lot different, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, so basically after that, I went, started PT and uh, I did Matt and McDonald's MNU nutrition course, which when you look back at it is not as good as what all of his cult um, following tell you. Speaking of cults. Um then I went and did my master's at Leeds Beckett in nutrition or sports and exercise nutrition. Um, again, even though it's an MSc and yeah, there's a lot of work that went into that and I'm very proud that I got it. There's, there was a lot missing still. And I actually finished that in COVID as well. So the last six months was all no lectures, no traveling, basically just get it done and hope that you pass kind of thing. And then I came off the back of that. I went into we. I went into uh, Lauren Bannock's Institute of Performance Nutrition Diploma, um, which was unbelievable. And if anybody ever wants to get into nutrition and has an undergrad behind them, that's the nutrition course that I'd push them towards because you get people like James Morton, um, Graham Close, uh, everybody of that ilk teaching it yeah unbelievable it's the people that in the industry that we're in you look at and you're thinking this guy does some good research 
Yeah. And ironically, and I was talking to my girlfriend about this uh, the other day, these people who clearly know what they're doing, like you look at James Morton, for example, he's a professor at one of the most highly regarded nutritional unions in the country, if not the world, at Liverpool John Mars. He used to work for Team Sky, Liverpool, England football. And he's never on any of these podcasts of Diary of a CEO uh, with nutrition. It's always some vegan representative, isn't it? It is, so yeah. have their own book on an 800-calorie diet. Generally, the people you don't really want to hear about, or you don't have any care for. The people literally just trying to sell their shit on a podcast. Um, and then off the back of that, basically, I've got my own coaching at E5. And the whole paradigm shift happened sort of November, December time. Whereas it was all, previous to that, it was all about uh, how good can I make people look, similar to to how um, me and you sort of go about our fitness training. It's like, yeah, I want to I want to look fucking good. I'm like, yeah, I am vain. Yeah, definitely. But, we all are in our own rights. Yeah. And whilst I do want me, I do want people to look at themselves, or my clients to look at themselves and think, I, I look good. I just want them to also feel good. And all of this came about basically because in November I got diagnosed with ADHD and it was sort of like a, um, it wasn't like a massive change for me because I pretty much knew I had it before I got diagnosed, but it was almost like I can now see the enemy. Yeah. And then it went about, all right, well, how do I stop myself having brain fog? How do I make sure that I'm, um, like setting my day up for me and like my mental health and that's shifted in into my uh coaching as well and, and basically now I just want to make people feel better yeah they'll always look better because I arguably that's the easy side of training definitely like if you go to the gym have a high protein diet and stick to calorie maintenance or there or thereabouts you'll look better Whereas feeling better and looking better are two completely different things. So I now use my ADHD as a superpower. Um, I've always been very empathetic and that's one ADHD thing. And I think it comes with coaching as well, as you probably understand yourself, especially having competed in the past, like yourself, it's, you understand that there are going to be pitfalls. There are going to be times that you fuck up and there are going to be times where emotionally you almost break down. Absolutely. And my demographic is a lot of females, sort of pre-post, mid-menopause, um, a lot of males, sort of 40 to 50, um, who think that they've, well, they've essentially been failed by the system, um, which in a sense, you can look at that from my ADHD kind of thing. So there's a lot of empathy there, a lot of compassion, and it is all about making fee people feel good whilst they're on this journey and hopefully to a point where they don't actually need me anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of where my paradigm is, like helping people that have been let down by by the system. And most most females and, and males have tried or been on something like Slimmer World and hence why we're on this podcast. <laughs> That's one thing we'll sort of dive into fairly shortly, but I totally, it's, it's good to see that we're kind of on a similar page in terms of, yes, you want to get from a starting point to having an impressive physique. You might want to look a certain way, feel a certain way, but then it's all about the finer details in between that I think a lot of people generally kind of forget about. 
because yoga case is about the starting point, whether if you're heavily overweight and you're, you want to get to the end point, whether if you're lean, you're shredded, stage shape, whatever. But there's a lot that goes on in between. And there's so many things that can make your health better. Of course, there's things that can make your health a lot worse if they're not done in the right way, which is obviously why we do what we do. So we kind of get rid of those gray areas. And you see it all too often on social media where people are trying to almost sell, let's say, the American dream. But then it's not necessarily you get up on a Sunday, you take a pill on the Sunday night, you then wake up on the Monday morning and you're absolutely shredded out of your mind. It takes a lot of work and everything like that to get to that point. Yes. You always see the before and afters. And it's something I generally do myself where I post a transformation of, especially myself, my own social media, is that I try and be as black and white as possible to say that, yes, I got from this starting point at, say, week X, and then when I got to the end point, all of this happened in between, whether if that's mindset, if that's hunger, if that's tiredness, if it's any anxieties, any bouts of depression, so much more. So it gives people the bigger picture, not to put people off of doing what you've been through in the past, what I'm kind of going through now, but just to make it a bit more real than saying, look how fantastic I look on Instagram. And that's one thing that has to be taken away. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of removing almost that like false image, which is done far too much in this day and age. Yeah, I think a lot of people want that, like, like you said, that American dream. And one thing that I, I love is I love put, sort of putting an analogy on that. Like, if I gave you a million pounds tomorrow, you would, by the end of tomorrow, you wouldn't have a million pounds anymore. No. Because I don't, I, like, I don't have a lifestyle that would be conducive to have a million pounds in my bank. Also, as I said off, uh, before we started, my impulsivity will just be like, pff, I'd be spending like 100 grand on Pokemon cards. Like, <laughs> and it's the same with a lot of people who want that quick fix. It's they'll lose X amount in a six weeks transformation kind of thing yeah. from some bell end who gives them a meal plan that's actually 800 calories rather than maintenance of 2000 it's do these five six seven exercises eight times a week five hours of cardio and yeah all right they'll grind for six weeks and if the last six weeks and they might look great and feel better to an extent and then because they haven't set any habits in place and all they've done is follow a meal plan they don't actually know how to eat they don't know how to construct their meals themselves they essentially within the next six weeks will look or just regressed back to the start point because the habits are just going to fall back into what they were when they started that got them into the negativity in the first place. Absolutely. Like the same as if we someone gave me a million pounds. Like, I'm just going to spend it. Of course you are. Because why not? Yeah, why wouldn't you? I'm sure yeah. I could find a way to spend it if I tried hard enough. Ah, as if you've never thought about it. Exactly. Daily, I think about these things. I'd be like, well, I'm going to buy five houses. And then you realise that that's that's all the money gone <laughs> so it's right. good to kind of know that fact as well it's something i always try and translate into my own clients in particular is saying this is what the start point will look like this is what the end point should look like and i want you to remember everything so they're picking up things as they're going along as you say how to eat when to eat what they should look for and what they should be including per meal whether if they're tracking or if they have a bit more of a structured sort of plan as it were yeah. I very rarely, and on, on the rare occasion, will set a nutrition plan for my clients. 
I will only do that for the first like three to four weeks to kind of give them the bare bones of what they should be looking at. Then I want to take them away from that completely because I know how mentally damaging that can be. Having that script there in front of you every single day for a 16, 20, 24 week period. Because then once you get to that point, you don't know how to step away from it because you have that attachment. Whereas if we can go through those realms, this is what you should be looking at. Then after that point, we step into the realms of tracking. They have an idea of how to structure things. Then when it comes to the end of their journey, they can be like, right, okay, I can go away now. I know what I should be eating. I can then retain what it is that I've built. Rather than getting to the end, they get into the shape they want to be, and then they completely blow it. They're back to square one. Next thing you know, they're signing back up with you for another 16 weeks. That's one thing that a lot of people don't seem to be able to remove. Um, I mean, the last podcast I did, I was talking to one of my former clients. He came to me because he wanted to drop, I think he dropped in total about 25 kilos. Absolutely insane amount to lose. And to this day, I think he's only put back on in the last two years about three kilos. Nice. And I was honestly buzzing with that because I, I see him on sort of a regular basis. I see him with pictures of his missus on Instagram and Facebook. I think, shit, he actually still looks pretty good. So he actually knows what he's got to do. And then the sort of things you want to teach people is how to, how to not necessarily, you can put it into other brackets as well, but when it comes to dropping body fat, is how to keep that off. Because you don't want to drop it so that you look good on one holiday for it then to all come back on again. You want to be in that position for the rest of your life. And that's what, it's what we do ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people don't practice maintenance often. No. So when it actually comes to maintaining it, they're like, oh, shit, what do I do? And it's that expectation of maintenance as well. So once you've dropped X amount and you've, you've decided that you no longer want to lose body fat, and you're like, I'm going to maintain it's what to actually expect once maintenance actually starts starts to happen. Yeah. And literally the immediate thing that happens as soon as, soon as you start going on to maintenance from a fat loss stage, you will put weight on. Yeah. And that's when people's heads blow because it's like, all right, I'm meeting an extra 400 calories, so all of that's going to be fat. And it's like, no, you're now at maintenance and your body's actually got food in your stomach. So you'll weigh more. And now you've got glycogen in your muscles. So you'll weigh more. And you've got water that goes in with that. So you'll weigh more. But you'll also feel better. Definitely. And people don't understand that like when they look at people on, on stage or on, on Instagram and, and these photo shoots that, that we've both done, like the prep that actually goes into it just in that last week. So you don't fuck it up. Yeah. Like all the carbs that you put in. Uh, the water strategies that you might implement, the tanning, the oiling, the exfoliation, the moisturizing, and then like rubbing it out, rubbing it into some guy you've just met in a tanning booth, <laughs> or you're both in paper, uh, paper knickers, which I put on the wrong way around when I did it, so I had like a zebra penis or a bit, and <laughs> um, you just you've just got a mate. It's like, uh, mate, can you try on me, like? Yeah, if you oil me, and literally you're just both rubbing coconut oil into each other. It's quite a romantic like, it's just, Yeah, it's it's very bonding. I mean, you're so depleted that there was nothing erotic in it, but um, it's. I don't think people appreciate like the work that goes into people looking as good as they do in some of these pictures. No. Yes, they are slightly edited, and yes, they've got a tan to look better, and yes, they will. They got a pump on and stuff and yeah they look great but it's not the 
just diet and diet and diet and diet. It's the getting up, waking up when you've had three hours sleep because you're so hungry and you're like, still got to go and do my cardio. Exactly. There's not, there's not even a glimmer of hope to think I could just eat a little bit more. I can just add a little bit extra to my meals because there is no option to do that. Not at all. Because that's the difference between making it or completely fucking it up. Yep. That's literally just pure practice. And I think with with a lot of when when you look at anything when it comes to like competing and photo shoots and stuff like that, obviously photo shoots not not really the same, but like when you're competing, you're literally getting judged on how lean you are and how yes. you pose. Um it's 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 almost a unique sport because other than boxing and weight making, the diet in any any other sport's not as strict. No. Not so which is why you get a high prevalence of eating disorders. Yeah. I think the other common thing as well is that, as you've just touched on, people think it's just a case of diet down, diet down, diet down until you're at that point. But then there's only so far you'll go before you start making compromises in terms of loss of muscle mass, ultimately. Because when you step on stage, the whole intention there and the whole purpose is to retain as much muscle as physically possible. So it's all about treading that very fine. It's almost like walking on a wire. You're trading that very fine line. If you fall too far one side, you're risking dropping muscle mass. You fall too far the other side, and nothing's going to happen at all. Yeah. It's striking that balance, refueling at the right time, dropping your food at the right time, increasing cardio steps and all that additional you know, surrounding factors to get it right as you go along. And I know that I have to try and almost separate myself. So through my last prep, I, even though I coach people through sort of dropping body fat, I had to separate myself because I was trying to control things that my coach was telling me to do. I was reading into it too much rather than trying to separate myself and being essentially Ross and coach, letting Ross be coached and just have my hat on looking after my clients. And it was actually really tricky to do that. But then it actually made me a lot more self-aware of what it is that I was doing. And even down to the things I've picked up that I can translate into my clients when they go through photo shoots, if they want to step on stage, God forbid they do. Um, and those sort of practices, I learned a hell of a lot. Rather than going through my first competition prep and my coach or my past coach probably listened back to this and probably dig me out on Instagram, but I think it's about to get a lot worse with the subject we're going to cover. Um, is that my, I don't remember a single day from my first prep. I don't remember anything from a whole 20-week period. All I remember is waking up, going and doing my cardio, having my breakfast, going to the gym, going to bed, rinse and repeat. And a lot happened in that time. Like, I'm pretty sure at some point I went on holiday with family over that time. I think I was about four weeks out and I went down to Devon for a week, still stayed in prep, still went to the gym. They thought I was a complete idiot, but I was like, I've got to stay on it because I'm four weeks out. I can't not do it right now. And even on, even on show day, I don't remember anything. I couldn't remember if I registered, if I weighed in, what actually happened. All I remember is the pictures I got at the end of that day. And spin that round to my recent show, I remember about 75% of the whole prep because it was an absolute contrast. Yes, we had to dig pretty deep. We had to push pretty hard. There was a lot of cardio and steps involved. Training was also hard. The food was really low. But I wanted to be in the moment. I wanted to actually live it rather than just end up with the trophy and the pictures at the end. I think so that's, that's one of the one of the things that everybody 
just takes for granted when they do it. Yeah. Because while she, while she was talking then, I was like, how much of it can I remember from the first time I did it? I just remember being a bellend. Yeah, me too. Because my food was so low that I was a horrendous human being to be around. Yeah. And in my like in in my first uh, photo shoot, I, my first one was a photo shoot. Like I dug really deep for that, and I had one of my clients passed away. I broke up with my girlfriend, and I moved house. Wow. And I reckon I didn't deal with my client passing away. He was a very good friend of mine, and he's the reason I play cricket. Um, I didn't deal with that emotionally till a lot a long time after that because I used my food and my training as my control. Yeah. Which I was I was at the time I think I was quite relieved about. I'm not gonna lie. It, that element of control that I still had in my life when everything else was going to shit. It was it was there for me and it was great and I was quite um I, th- I felt good. I felt good that I, I didn't fall off the wagon, as it were, uh, because of those life events. But I felt that because of how I reacted to that, for a period of time, I became a worse coach. Because I'm like, well, if I can, if I can stay on it while all these people, all these things have happened to me whilst I'm doing it, why can't I climb? Yeah. And that period made me a worse coach for a period of time because I like you said where you had coach Ross and, and uh client Ross essentially I didn't I also didn't differentiate. Yeah. So I was like, well if I can do all this, you can do this. Yeah. Like shot. So but obviously and that's not the case. Yeah. Um Especially now, and like I'm, I'm very glad of those those things that I had to go through because, yeah, it, it might have made me a worse coach at the time, but because I was a worse coach for a period of time, it m- made me a much better coach now. Yeah, I think it's kind of learning from these experiences well as well because having sort of mentioned to, having mentioned to Emma like that I want to do, one two three shows this year. Um, I want to be able to remember it, like if I'm being a dickhead, I want you to tell me. Ross, you're being a dickhead, you need to knock it on the head. And if I'm spacing out, if I'm not doing the non-negotiables within the household, I want you to tell me. If I'm not putting the washing out on the line, if I'm not putting washing in the washing machine, emptying the dishwasher, those sorts of things. And if it's getting too much for you, then tell me. And her answer, when as short as it was, was, trust me, I will. And it's like, that's what I need. And to be fair, she did a couple of times. There was a few times she had to almost like pull me aside and be like, you need to fucking, you need to stop because it's getting too much. She's like, I get it. It's hard. You're aggy because your food's low. But she said, that's not my fault. And the one thing I'll take away from it as well, and it's a reason why I put a bit of a rant out on Instagram the other day was at the end of the day, you and I and other competitors alike choose to step into a photo shoot prep, competition prep. So that then becomes our problem. You can't then make that a coach's problem like, oh, I've got to go out and do steps, or oh, more cardio, or oh, less food, or oh, I feel really aggy, I feel really hungry. You have you have no grounds to complain 
the fact that you're struggling on prep. If you're struggling on prep, don't do it in the first place. It's literally that simple. That's one thing that always gets my back up on social media. And I've got friends that do it as well. They're probably listening to this and I don't really give a shit to be honest, is they'll spend the whole of their prep complaining because of how hard it is. But then I actually had a friend message me, one of my, one of my clients who's left, he's just had a, a baby with his partner so his gym time is near enough non-existent at the moment. He messaged me and he said, I can't believe how well you made it through that prep. He said, you didn't complain once. And I said, no. I said, I didn't complain once on social media. Yes, I may have complained at home, may have complained to Emma, to my coach, whatever. But I'm not playing that boy that cries wolf on Instagram. It's, it's incredible. Very easy. It's very easy to do. And you see it on Facebook all the time. And it's the people that you, you would associate with never making any progress. And mm-hmm. like to call people out of that but yeah. the people who complain about how hard dieting is or the people that complain about how hungry they might be after two days of dieting reach out for help don't complain reach out for help exactly. and i think it's it's one of those where when we do diet it's making people aware that is you're the one dieting yeah like it's it's a you issue it's not everybody else's issue how they around you is how you tell them to act around you. And that is done with words and actions. And one of the one of the the best things my coach ever taught me, my first ever prep, because I was like back on playing profusely about it to him. And one of the best things he said to me was, at least you get the choice to diet. Yeah. There's people in the world who don't have the choice to reduce their food. Yeah, totally agree. Like you have the choice if you want to overeat. You have the choice if you want to undereat. You have the choice if you want to go to McDonald's, Subway, KFC and get something. There's people in this world who don't have that choice, whether that be because of famine, lifestyle, war zones. Like, do you know what I mean? Imagine like Ukraine compared to being like, oh, my gym's just being blown up. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's I've far got away. I've got I can't compete. Yeah. Just being called up to the army. Yeah. And I have to put this prep on hold. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's it honestly it's it's it? and that was that was one thing that I kind of tagged on the end of that post as well was the fact that I'd made that choice and I'm grateful to be in this position to be able to go through a photo shoot, a prep, to be able to actually go to the gym, to not be concerned in terms of like food consumption and that sort of thing. Because there's other people out there that want to do it but they can't and that's one thing i always remember it's a case of almost like you you kind of got to be grateful for the fact that you can actually do it in the first place yes and that's more what it's about and for me like i know i know we'd obviously sort of spoken about like the the why behind why you stop competing whilst i carry on i've pinpointed it for me is for personal achievement not necessarily for gratification on social media yes of course i share the pictures more for the fact that I've got friends and family that like to see it. Yes, of course, there's people I've messaged privately to share pictures and, you know, to have a chat with them about it. But it's more for personal achievement because I've never done anything this big before. I've never really won anything, never really done anything where I can kind of step back and think I'm actually really proud of that moment. Whereas now, having placed third in my most recent show, that was actually quite a lot of self-gratification. And it showed me a lot in terms of even even more what I do in terms of a business sense, because most 
most I've, I've known a few coaches who will go through a competition prep and they will shut their doors to clients. They'll completely close it down. They'll work with who they've got. And my focus was, I will keep my business running, still carry on taking clients, whether if it kills me, because I'm not going to take my foot off the gas for the sake of stepping on stage. And I had a, a coach message me. It's like, I can't believe you did it. I really struggled during prep to jump on sales calls, X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, it comes back to choice. I've made this choice. And if you want your business still to grow, you can't put that on hold for six months of prep, I'm afraid. You've got to put your big boy pants on and get on with it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you've got to, like, for me, I think bodybuilding and competing in bodybuilding is one of those where it is a very much an internal gratification kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's why I don't do it anymore because I didn't do it for those reasons. And yeah. like I said, before we even started, like I did it for external, external gratification. I did it for the whole, look how shredded I can get social media posts. Um, I did it because I felt, I felt if I had posts, uh, posts and social proof of me being absolutely shredded and, and going through my journey, it would gravitate people to me. Yeah. And I think as a coach, um, you almost see helping people compete as the, the kind of the holy grail. Yeah. And then you're like, when you actually work out, like how many clients come to people and be like, yeah, I want to compete. And then if they're going to do that and they're going to throw money at it, there's some unbelievable coaches out there. And my heart was not in that at all. I don't want to wake up early on a Sunday morning, drive down to Coventry just because one of my clients is competing when I want to live my life. Yeah, you could go and play cricket. Yeah, imagine playing cricket Saturday, Sunday. I'd be absolutely ruined. <laughs> Done it about three times this season. I just I broke and man the day after. <laughs> um, but no, like that's why I don't do it anymore. And that's why all I do for a living now is attack them well. Yeah, which is one thing we'll move on to. So for those that don't know Paul, I'd honestly recommend having a look on his Instagram page because he posted a reel over the last last week or so, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, kind of area. And it was actually Emma that showed me um, that showed me this reel. And I watched it. And as soon as he went into sort of the opening statement of this is what I'm doing, I'll let him explain it. I won't sort of steal your thunder here. My jaw dropped and I thought, it's about fucking time someone does something like this because I've always been the believer of the diet practices that we follow, which is essentially just tracking your food within reason, within confines of what it is you want to achieve, whether if you want to maintain weight, drop weight, build muscle, whatever it is, we essentially just eat normal food that fits in with the goal we want to achieve. There's no value behind it. There's no um, criticism behind it in terms of, you've got to add points against that. You've got to do this. You can't eat that. Oh, you can have that. But like, I still eat takeaway. I'm pretty sure you still eat takeaway, Paul. And we're fine with it. it doesn't... I woke up hungover this morning. What's that? I woke up hungover this morning. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I've got clients that go out on nights out on Friday and Saturday, as I'm sure Paul has. I've also got clients that work away. They still balance their food. They still make progress. Now, I've had friends and family that have done Slimming World in the past and it's worked for them. But what's happened? The weight they've lost has gone straight back on. And that's the underlying factor for me personally in why you should follow something that works, something you can learn from and actually pick up the fundamentals you need. 
so Paul, I'll let you explain the uh, the premise behind the reel and exactly what it is you're you're doing. So basically, um, my paradigm shift last uh, over the last six months. Obviously, I want to make people feel better, and I've never ever. And this doesn't mean they're not out there. I've never had someone come to me and be like, oh, I did Slimming World and I thought it was the best thing I've ever done. And like you've just said, Ross, I've had friends and family do it. I've had clients do it. Like when I first started a PT, I had a client lose six stone with it whilst I was PTing her. And there was some other shit practices from me alongside that, I'm not going to lie. I think I made her do 100 burpees because she had ice cream. <laughs> How bad it was when I first started. Um, and basically, like I slammed Slimming World to the, end, to the nth degree because everything I say about Slimming World is either true or an opinion and I can't get sued for that. And basically one of my one of my old clients, a good friend of mine, just said, you're always gone about it, but do you actually know what it's about? And I think a lot of people have this preconceived notion of Slimming World, Sins, potatoes that's what it is yeah you eat a kilo of potatoes and you lose weight every day and, and i was like you know what you're right i've, I've got a i've got a couple of slim world books and one of my clients managed to scramble for me and i've had a quick flick through but they've moved away from sort of the actual book thing yeah and now it's online like most things are. i think through covid they sort of transitioned everything online yeah. so i was like do you know what I'm just gonna have a go, like, because if I wanna, if I wanna make a, a carousel or a reel or anything like that, and I need to know the sins of something, I can't. You can't find out the sins of something unless you have the calculator or you have their diaries and stuff. Right. Um, it's very hard to just Google how many sins are in X. And I was like, if I'm gonna really go in hard at something well over the next six months, as I intend to, I'm gonna need more info. So I basically signed up. Basically, because someone said that I've never done it. It's a bold move. Bold move. Yeah. So I've got a photo shoot in, in four weeks, five weeks kind of area that I booked by accident um, and forgot about. And I've done no prep towards. <laughs> and basically, all I'm going to do is I'm going to turn up for that photo shoot and I'm going to be in the shape I turn up to that photo shoot in, which like, I'm not going to turn up to a photo shoot in why I class myself as bad shape. And I'm literally tracking all my food on Slimming World app. So I'm not, whilst I'm tracking calories to an extent because I eat very similar every day. Yeah. And I know where that sits. I'm tracking the amount of sins I have every single day to show people that I can live a lifestyle that includes takeaways, includes beer, it includes a stag do that I'm on next week, it includes weddings, holidays, etc. I can have, I think yesterday I had 155 sins and I can still look like this. So in terms because of, I can show people, pardon? So in terms of the sins you had yesterday, you said you had 155. Just to give the listeners an idea, what's your, for you personally, what's your daily sin allowance? Where should that be at? Uh, between 15 and 25. Jesus Christ, that's nearly 10 times that amount. Yes. So my my habitual breakfast is twenty five cents. That's insane. Yeah, my habitual breakfast every single day is two slices of wholemeal toast with um, 
Aldi's Philadelphia, so soft cheese, and a double scooped protein shake. Which is a fairly standard meal. You've got your carbs, your fats. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's about 500 calories, um, 60 to 65 grams of protein, and some carbs in there as well. So to you and me, that's a fairly decent meal. Getting your protein in first thing in the morning, pretty standard thing. And yeah. really, it doesn't even go into your mind. It doesn't even cross my mind as soon as you say that. That's in any form unhealthy or stepping away from normal common practice. Stupid, isn't it? So um, I'm kind of blowing my mind. Yeah. And like Friday, Fridays, I will always have more food because cricket on a Saturday, especially when it's warm, I need more calories. Um, I need more water. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'll always weigh more anyway. Um, but I've had an average of 70 sins over my allowance every day for the next for every day since I started. I think the lowest sins I've had is like 78. And you're still making progress. Yeah, I'm 200 grams of like 200 grams less than where I started. So I've lost, I technically lost weight. That's madness. It just shows how much they try and pin a number on these certain foods to try and take your attention away from it. It's like, okay, to an extent, I see it. There's certain things that play a vital role in your diet, like your whole meat, your whole carbohydrates, your fats, things that you need to make that a complete diet. Yeah. Then they're almost telling you to try and remove these things completely, but then there's no, there's no ring fence around the allowance of how much you can have. Because if I ate a kilo of potatoes a day, that's not going to do my gut and my digestion any good. No. And it's not really going to benefit you that much. Which is why it's worth mixing. Really like potatoes. Yeah, me too. I love yeah. potatoes. I think they're a pretty standard meal. Yeah, I mean, a, por a portion of potatoes for me is about 500 grams. Yeah. Um, I'll literally just have a bag of 500 gram baby potatoes and I'll air fry them. And they're free. Like I could, I, probably not now, but in the past, I could probably get through a kilo of potatoes in a meal. Yeah. I probably wouldn't eat anything for the next nine hours. <laughs> but what I've, what I've found, so obviously I'm on, I'm on Slim World's app. Um, so I've had, you have to go through the sequence that it tells you. And there's three stages. Uh, the first stage is the free foods. And the free foods are um, your meats, anything that's lean so if it's got fat in it's in um pasta and potatoes are free um even even stuff like bacon medallions they're free but bacon isn't because it's got fat on it yeah um even though for me like bacon i, I don't see anything wrong with bacon by any imagination but from a health perspective we know that saturated and processed meats um they do increase cardiovascular risk, but they're free on some world. So like you've just said, there's no ring fence around this. So what I've what I've kind of come to the conclusion over the first first like four or five days that I've been doing it is it's actually the premise of Slimming World isn't actually as bad as as I previously thought. Yeah. All right. It's still shit. Right. And I will never ever say that Slim World is good. Right. It's still shit. Essentially, because of, of what you've just explained there, where you're essentially just saying that here's some free food. It's now a free for all. Yeah. The worst part about Slim World is actually the actual community, because it is essentially a cult. 
And but without without setting these these parameters around these foods, like all right, every meal having protein, making sure they got fruit or and or veg with every meal, making sure that um you're drinking two to three liters of water. What they've done essentially is they've by having these free foods is they've made people within this cult within the community try and get as much food as they possibly can for free so if you you uh, there's a community feature on the app and you can literally scroll through and it's interspersed with uh people's own recipe concoctions of um like uh, like a quiche like a no bake no side quiche there's no pastry quiche it's essentially just a, a an omelette that they've overcooked an omelette and yeah they've overcooked an omelette like that's what it looks like it was black yummy oh this is real nice oh it's sin free <laughs> yeah, but you've had eight eggs like you've had 40 grams of fat just just in an omelette yeah it's baffling but, but the the community has essentially made it so all they're ever focused on is how how much food can I get for free? And because, like you said, there's no ring fence around it, it doesn't work on habits. It doesn't work on hunger control. It doesn't work on all the things that when you just think logically about stuff, it actually like it makes no sense. So logically, um, I saw, I got sent this the other day by someone. Um, basically, um, it, always, it sounded a lot harsher because he was from Northern Ireland, the guy that was doing the video. So they've got that real harsh accent on it. Yeah. And basically, he picked up a Mars bar and he said, this is like eight sins. I don't know how many of that Mars bar is, even though I had one yesterday. Um, and this will literally ruin your day. And then he got a massive bowl of pasta. And he was like, this is free. That's fair. And if you if you went in Slimming World and just logically, if you think just with the smallest bits of common sense and view those two items, you'd be like, all right, well, me in that massive bowl of pasta is gonna definitely give me more calories than that Mars bar and a significantly less amount of happiness. So why is that Mars bar treated like it's Chernobyl? Yeah. Whereas this bowl of pasta is, is gratified with being free. It literally makes no sense at all. No. And like I said, it's whilst uh, the premise behind Slimming World, free foods, etc. I get it to an extent. I get what they've tried to do. They've essentially tried to create an element of restriction with an element of freedom there. And I get that. But the whole premise behind it is obscene because there's no portion sizes. It is literally eat until you're full. And if you say to someone who has been overweight their whole life, where their leptin levels, so the hormone that makes you feel full, is literally that it's just not getting through because they were eradicated with Western diets. Like they don't know when they're full. And usually people that are overweight tend to eat faster. So they've already eaten past fullness and are continuing to eat because it's on the plate. 
And then it's like, oh, I'm starting to feel full now. When in reality, they were full 15 minutes ago. And it's just a quarter of the portion they've eaten. Yeah. But the body's not in tune to actually notice that. Yeah. It's like how many how many clients have you had or I've had where we've in the first two weeks they've they've struggled to eat as much because they're eating healthy, they're eating high protein, high fiber. Um they're, they're eating three to five fruit and veg a day, they're drinking two to three liters of water, they're walking more, they're sleeping better. The amount of people that tell me I'm struggling to eat my calories. It's like it's because you're actually eating food, not yeah. trying to fit as much free food in as possible and then having 15 muller rices because you can't. And when that happens, people actually sort of, they have this sort of like massive brain brainwave and light bulb moment of, ah, yeah, if I actually eat healthy, I might feel better. And because I feel better, I'll eat healthily. Yeah, it means you do it more and you'll repeat it a lot more often. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's it, common, it was not happen. So it's, it's a common thing. And you've hit the nail square on the head there where I've 100% had it. Um, I would be lying if I said that all of my current clients haven't said it to me where we'll kind of set out the nuts and bolts of how their day's food should look. Whether it's that's through, I show them an example of a meal plan or something like that. If they wanted to mirror image it, perfect to, or as perfect as they can for what they want to do. Within two to three days after starting with me, I'll get a message to say, I only made it till meal four and I felt really full. It's so much food. And it's like, ah, it's like, yes, it is so much food, but you weren't struggling to put away a three and a half thousand, four thousand calorie Domino's pizza. So when you take the pizza off against five or six meals a day, it's a lot different because there's more food volume. You're actually going from what you want to what your body needs. And they are two completely different things. And you're right, it's down to that hunger response. It's one thing I'm kind of struggling with myself at the moment, two weeks post-show, where I could literally eat the entire contents of my fridge and not feel full. Because I'll have a meal, I'm then hungry. I'll have another meal, then I'm hungry. And that's not because I'm under-eating either. I'm on the best part of over 3,000 calories right now. Which to anybody else is a lot of food. But to your eye, it's just standard practice. Now, the one thing that also gets me behind the cult, as we'll call it, is the Alcoholics Anonymous style meetings as well, which obviously, as coaches, we do our best to mentally support our clients. It's our job. I essentially put myself down to a drop in the ocean of a counsellor. I wouldn't consider myself a counsellor, but you almost have to be kind of on that level to understand their problems, to be able to be a good listener, to be able to empathise with them and that sort of thing. And I actually remember, I'm not going to name names or throw any categories in it, but I remember accompanying someone to a Slimming World meeting purely for the fact we're due to go away on holiday the following day. So I said, I'll come along, I've got nothing better to do. I'll be a fly on the wall, we'll just see what happens. And it's honestly upsetting to see how they respond to the people that attend these meetings that their weight increases. They're sat in front of a group of 20-odd people and it's like, why do you think you gained two pounds this week? What are you going to do this week to make it even better next week? Near enough pinpoint shaming them in front of 20 other people. I think if anybody did that to me, I think I'd set fire to the room and walk out. 
and be like, I don't need this shit in my life because I'm not going to be pulled out. Of course, pull me to one side and talk to me one-to-one about it. Because it's almost as if, I don't know if you've got sort of like a community for your clients, but it's almost like doing that to your clients in a community when they check in every week. I certainly wouldn't, I, I wouldn't appreciate that at all. Yeah. I mean, you can tell you ginger because you went straight to Arson. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> straight for the matches. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm slightly annoyed. I will set fire to this. Um, <laughs> like, I've had, I've had people, again, like, if you take a step back and you take out all the emotional views that we have to Slimming World and even all the knowledge we have about nutrition and coaching and just making feel people feel valued and not a number if you went into a place and you were a fly on the wall and you knew nothing about this place and you saw someone being shamed because they stepped on a scale and it gave you them a number that was slightly higher or not lower than the previous week and then everybody around them shaking their heads and tutting and that whole like whispering in the audience kind of vibe you'd be like what the fuck yeah but somehow the cult and slimming world has made it a norm and they go and like you said as a as a as a coach and as a a trainer or whatever we want to call ourselves we do have to have some we're essentially an ear I've got clients who come to me on a one-to-one where it's, it's their hour a week. Yeah. Like I'm, I'd have to say anything sometimes and they will literally just chew my ear off and that makes them feel better regardless of the exercise. I'm never going to be like, oh, fucking hell, I can't believe that. I can't believe you've done that. No, not at all. They don't need me to cut, they don't, they don't need me every week when they might not have followed, followed the non-negotiables that I said, they might have not hit the calories, they might not have tracked, they might have just had a bad week, they might have been on holiday and enjoyed themselves and come back a little bit heavier. Nobody needs to come in to a person that they're meant to be trusting, that they're paying. And then this person turns around and says, fucking hell, mate, I can't believe you've done that. Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? I think if my coach did that to me, I would honestly leave him. Yeah. Because I know that he, like the the sort of criteria that we follow to kind of get behind the reasons why a client's gained three kilos in a week where they were dropping simultaneously up to that point is you want to find the the reasons as to why that's happened. I'm not saying, oh, fucking hell, like, what have, what have you done that for? Now, what are you going to do to make it better? Go and put that dance hat on and go and sit in the corner for 15 minutes and think about what you've done. Because... If, a client tells me that, if a client tells me that they've had a Domino's pizza, I, the first question I'd ask is, what did you have? Yeah. Yeah, if they say I had a barbecue base, that's what I'm going to go in at them. Oh, because that's literally just blasphemy. Exactly. But um, I think I think the whole getting people to stand and weigh themselves in front of everybody in, in an environment where everybody that attends is already emotionally responsive to that number. And then basically, it, there's no saving face. It's, oh, Karen, you've put on two pounds. What's gone on this week then? And 
I train quite a few, quite a lot of people that have had bad experiences. Like that's my paradigm, people that have been let down by the system. And I've had, I've got a couple of clients who have been to Slimming World. I'd, I've got one client who was, before she started with me, had been at what she called Fat Club for 22 years. Jesus Christ. So that was, that was various different ones. And I would say I'm as emotionally invested in her journey as she is because of just how close how close you get with clients i mean you, you become responsive to what they do and you want them to succeed as much as they do so um, I'd, I'd like to think most coaches do anyway some of the things she has told me about slimming world is um they're very very good at enabling people so you might put on a pound or you've not lost and you're like it's because i didn't go for for a pee beforehand so they didn't go to the toilet before they got weird and it's like Okay, but if you just, again, let's take a step back and think about that logically. If it's because you didn't go to the toilet, but then it's definitely not fat you would have lost if you were a pound less. Yep. But I guarantee you, if you were a pound less, because you went to the toilet, even though logically it just doesn't make sense, it would be celebrated. It's true. And... It's one of those where I can literally just bring up five, six, seven things that I've been told about all these Slim and World meetups. And I'm not paying six quid and spending two hours in these meetups to literally, essentially, I'd get kicked out. Someone did comment on, on my reel, um, said that if you go to the meetings, you'll be kicked out within half hour. I don't doubt that at all. Because I, I am not one to hold my tongue when it comes to stuff like that. Um, especially if someone I know isn't qualified to do something, says something that is detrimentally dangerous to someone. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, when it comes to Slim and Wild, they're a company. Um, so I've spoken about this, this often, but they've they've either sued or been sued six times, I think. Really. So this they've sued Aldi but for using some bit uh, I think they had slim in the in their name. Yeah. Um, I was gonna hit on this in a second. Uh and they had slim in their product range and basically a very similar packaging. And what they did is I don't know if they actually won I don't don't know what actually the result of the lawsuit was, because I think Aldi still have that range. I think they just changed the name. Yep. But all Slim and Well did was sin it, put five sins on it, even though it's got better macros than their version. But because okay. because they're a company, all that all they do is drive you to buy their products. Yes. They don't give a fuck about the people that pay them. No. Like at all. Not at all. I'm sure did you you must have seen there was um there was a post on Instagram. I'm not entirely sure who posted it, but it was about their their microwave mills. And there was like a side-by-side -side of two mills, which are exactly the same. You have Slim and Weld variation. You've then got Aldi's variation, except the Slim and Weld one was essentially sin-free, I believe. Yeah. I... And then the Aldi version was something like nine sins or something like that for the mill. And there was very little disparity between the two. They were both more or less exactly the same. It was Team RH. 
Um, I don't know who that is, but I saw it on Facebook and I I put it on my story and tagged obviously Team RH Fitness in because like I'll give credit where credit's due because there's a mint post. But yeah, it was like uh, the difference was like two sins. So it was it was two sins for the meal, even though it was cheaper, had better macros, but theirs was free and twice the price. Yeah. And that just so that literally just sums up everything about the world. And let's be honest, the Aldi one's going to be a lot nicer as well, because they do some pretty decent meals. <laughs> I just I don't understand it. No. It's it's always one thing that I've always that's always popped into my mind, especially as we've just hit on these meetings, is that the one main thing. And the one overarching theme that we've been pushing so much as a nation, as a planet, for the last, I don't know, five, six years is all around mental health. And that's supporting those that want to better their life, essentially. Because I know you mentioned about the client where you said they'd been in this, like another cult, fat club, however they've categorized it. That as well is already very harsh and critical towards somebody. I don't think we should have all these banners of having calling someone and I'm not obviously aiming this at anybody before anybody hits out at me. It's meant from a good place is that you'd never call someone fat. You'd never call someone skinny or put anybody into these brackets. I do the same when it comes to food as well. I never see things as good and bad. I never categorize it or demonize either. It's like, if you want a Domino's pizza, have the pizza. If you want a McDonald's, go eat it. Fine. Whatever. But then it's about remembering what you're trying to achieve. Is it going to benefit you? If you're in a competitive front, sure. McDonald's or Domino's might benefit you as a refeed, refuel glycogen stores and that sort of thing. Then crack on. If you want a McDonald's for the sake of having McDonald's, just have it. It's not good. It's not bad. It's none of them. It's just food. Yeah. It's all down to your wants and needs at the end of the day. Now, the one thing that should be supported and one thing I stand on quite um, quite strongly against, or I'm quite strongly for, should I say, is the protection of mental health because I've always been of the mindset of treating people how I would want to be treated. And I always take people at face value. I never judge them or anything like that. I get to know them. They already earn my respect before I've even opened my mouth or vice versa. Then we see how things carry on and then I'll make my mind up from there. It's like, okay, I've met this person. I don't think they're all that nice. I don't have a lot of respect for them, but I'm not going to be a dick. I'm going to tolerate them because it's me. I'm not going to show a side that isn't me, essentially. I mean, if you'd have asked me two weeks before my show, I probably would have snapped and kicked off, kicked, screamed and spat and all that sort of stuff. And it's one thing that doesn't seem to fit within, let's say, certain generations. Because the other overarching theme as well is the whole respect your elders situation, which I get it. If I'm in a supermarket and I'm walking down the aisle, I see an elderly person walking towards me. Of course, I'll move out of their way because if they, you know, they walk with a stick or they walk with a frame, it's easier for me to get out of their way than them. But then if you have somebody that's able-bodied and they're just beelining for you, they don't move out your way. They don't even gain eye contact. They make no attempt to move in. We're the ones that are then put in that position of you don't respect your elders. It's like, well, it's not a case of respecting your elders. You should respect everybody. And that's just pure fact. Like, I respect my neighbours. I've never even met them before. There's people that I will meet over the next sort of few months as I sort of expand my business. They, they already instantly earn my respect. The same if I start a new job. Like, a few months ago, <clears throat> just recently sort of quit my full-time job to go full-on with my online business. 
And where I was working, I walked into this factory. I was essentially making sheds five days a week. It was boring as shit. Walked into this factory and everybody instantly had my respect because they'd been there before I was. Then I had people that were, let's just say they weren't particularly nice. And there were certain things they were saying, certain things they were doing, which I didn't really appreciate. So it's like you've gone from up here of earning my respect to then down here, where yes, of course, I will tolerate you because I've got to work with you. But then if you need me to do anything, then don't ask me. Now, going back to the initial point is that this cult, as it were, doesn't seem to take into account the mental issues that these people will follow or that will go through, going through Slimming World, trying to drop weight through something which seems like a good idea on the outside, but now we've just literally unpacked a lot of it, it actually isn't. There's not a lot of support in the background in terms of the mental health side. I, I completely agree. And, and you've got to think that the people, the consultants, if you can call them that, that run these meetings that people go to, and, and obviously a lot of Fluent World is online now. So you can, I think, I don't know if you can reach out to people, but you've got community on there. Um, but you've got less support because of it. And now, like, these consultants are just people who have applied to be a consultant. I don't, they've got, as far as I'm aware, they've got no nutritional qualifications whatsoever. And I remember saying this to one of my clients who was adamant on staying on Slim World whilst I trained her, and she made absolutely zero progress because of it. Sure. Uh, she got stronger in the gym. Weight-wise, didn't lose anything, but purely because she was on something well. So um and when I when I say something like, all right, well, you've got to understand that the people running these meetings are usually just people who have previously lost weight. And um because they've lost weight, people around them within these meetings look up to them to help guide them through their own weight loss journey, which is only natural in that environment. And it comes from a complete naivety of of the cult. Yeah. Um, in the same way, um, it could be. Do I go like that? It's entirely up to you. I can see you. I can right. see resisting it, the urge. Yeah. Because they've because they've it, it's all been normalised for them. So. It, it's typical for people that go to Slim World to have had negative experiences from their parents early on. Yeah. They've either seen their parents struggle with the weight, they've seen their parents go to Slim World, weight watches, etc. And they don't see any other route. Okay. So they're in this environment where there is only one path. Every other path is wrong. Okay. Whereas I'd like to think that yourself and and, and I, if I'm proved wrong with something that I say, fair enough. Absolutely fine. Let me go back and read some of the research, learn from the people that I learned from, etc. Whereas the world doesn't. And so when I say to these people, or uh, this specific client, uh, three four years ago, and I was like, these people who are running these are just people who've been successful. And people rely on them. So then they're like, all right, well, I might as well become a consultant because then I don't have to pay my fees or I get paid. Or I don't really know how it works apply i don't know um and her comeback was always no nah, no not my consultant my consultant's very good um she's very aware of things she's very aware of stuff like that and it's that whole 
all right, you've you've attacked something that I love or I I, I follow. And instead of instead of saying, all right, well, why 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 do you, why do you think that? Why do you assume that? I mean, I it's a pretty big assumption to think that all nutrition and all Slimming World consultants don't have nutrition qualifications, but I think it's 99% correct. Yeah, it's pretty um, Instead of saying, all right, why why do you think that her response was, nope, 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 you're wrong. Like my my consultant at Slimming World is the best. She's the bee's knee. She lost six stone herself. She knows what to do. And it's like, <clears throat> but the only reason she knows what to do is because she lost six stone. She's obviously done something correct. Yeah. All right. I'm not saying Slimming World can't help you lose weight because it can. Absolutely. It's just the way it does it, I would say, as we've discussed, is mentally not healthy, like physiologically not healthy, nutritionally not healthy, and doesn't lead to long-term weight loss because it doesn't actually build these habits. No. And that's where the cult comes from. And you will always find that these people look up to, to them. So you can't actually... It's very hard for them to look anywhere other than Slim World. And did you ever hear about the whole Parky Light situation with Slim World? No, I didn't. So one of the times that Slim World got sued was because of a company called Parky Lights. Right. Uh, so Parky Lights made skinny sausages, essentially. Right. Uh, similar to like hex sausages, but they'll pork and a very low fat. So when they came on the market, because of their fat in pear sausage was like two grams, they got 0.5 of a sin, something like that. Yeah. So obviously, naturally, Porky Lights got a shit ton of revenue from that because Slim World like users started using it because they were low sin, tasted all right, etc. And basically, <clears throat> what happened was um, Slim World were just about to put out their own version of sausages. So they put the sin value of Porky Lights up to two and a half, I think, or something like that. And basically, they came out and said, oh, we've done our individual individual testing on Porky Lights, and they've come out at seven grams per fat of fat per sausage on average. And then Porky Lights have essentially just been decimated because, and when I first posted about this, I did find like a thread and those people on Slim World saying I've got three, I've got three like four packs of fourteen porky like sausages. Does anybody want to give them to the dog? Like I can't eat them now because they're two and a half sins. And other people saying fucking hell, like now that two and a half sins are not half a sin, no wonder, no wonder I've not lost weight over the last three weeks because all I've been doing is eating porky like sausages. Yeah, and uh, it was there was hundreds of similar messages like that and basically parker lights revenue obviously came down and then parker lights asked slim well to back up what they said in terms of like their individual individual or independent verification and they couldn't because they lied and they got sued big so are they are they no more parker lights no more okay lights. i don't know um, let's have a look I never actually realised that this occurred, and there probably is a lot more of this going on than what we thought. Not necessarily from like particular pop-up like food companies, but 
probably more from sort of like the bigger brands. But that literally hit on one thing to me where you say that, you know, these sausages were two grams of fat, nine grams of fat per sausage, whatever. These people are then saying, I can't eat them because of this, that, and the other. It's like they're still just a sausage, as is a Richmond sausage, as is a Morrison's own brand, pork and apple sausage. Just eat the damn sausage. Like, I know my clients for a fact could fit that into their macros. Yeah, of course, okay, you could probably say that pork isn't as nutritionally beneficial for you than like chicken or beef or anything like that. But it's still a protein source and it's still a fat source. If you enjoy eating them, then eat the pork sausage. Like, it's, it's no more trivial than that. Yes. So the pocket likes is still about, but I'm not 100% sure uh, where. Yeah, I mean, it only happened in 2017. Oh, wow. So only fairly recently then. Well, I say recently six years, but it's still. Um, yeah, there is literally. I've literally just typed in pork like Slim and World and um it's basically just talking about the fact that Slim and World is part of this independent fabrication and just like about it. So last point we'll kind of hit on um is I believe we've been on for nearly an hour and fifteen minutes we've been talking, which is quite tasty. So I think we probably could actually revisit for a part two once you've kind of completed this to show yeah. this is where I got to, even though I've been doing all these things in between. So the last thing we'll kind of touch on is like, what would you say is the biggest thing you're trying to kind of hit on with this? Are you trying to quieten down naysayers? Are you, or are you literally just strictly trying to prove a point? Um, I think, I think it's a combination. Um, I, obviously we touched on the mental health side of stuff and I see so often people like, constantly going back to Slim World and back to Slim and World because they're this big company. They make fucking millions. Yeah. And because they make millions, nobody can nobody can attack them. Nobody can be like, all right, well, as a coach, I can't provide the support they can. Like as an in, as a as an individual, I can't create an app with all of the articles they've got on there, whether those articles are correct or not. Because they've got an app, it looks fancy they've got a service they've been around for fucking 50 years um and all their testimonials that they post will be people who have successfully lost weight which yep. does happen however as we've alluded to like i'd like to see what those people look like a year two years afterwards yes absolutely and because we can't attack that the point of this whole thing is to make people realize that slim world is not the way to go because Yes, you need restriction. And I restrict my clients to a point in, I call it um, versatile restriction. So instead of me saying, all right, you can't have bread. Like, do you like bread? Yeah, all right, we'll keep bread in then. But like, yeah. do you like it more than rice? Do you like it more than pasta? Do you like it potatoes? What do you like? And let's double down on that because the more likely to eat it. And then again, we just educate people about tracking. And the whole idea of this is that I don't track my calories, but I'm very in tune with how much I eat, right? Uh, mainly because me tracking my calories is like a massive trigger for, for one of like my eating disorder that I've got. Yeah. Could easily arise. And I want to show people that I can literally be 
in as good a shape as they think I should always be in, which I'm never always going to be in my shape, when I have this photo shoot in a month's time. And I'm literally going to say to them, but on Slimming World, I've overeaten by five times the quantity that I'm allowed. Yeah. I've still had, I'm still going to have takeaways. I'm still going to have beer. Like I said, I want to stag do from Wednesday. I'm going to be in Ireland drinking Guinness. So, yeah, I'm still going to have takeaways. I'm still going to be playing cricket. I'm still going to have beers after cricket. I'm still going to have cricket teas, which are very low protein, very high flapjack. Um, and I'm still going to do what I normally do. I'm still going to train. I'm still going to just live my life, essentially. Absolutely. I'm still going to have the foods that I love. And one of the foods I love is oven chips. I'll always have oven chips in my freezer. And I'll have them three times a week, easily. Why not? But I want to show people that the whole sin thing on Slimming World is so mentally damaging to people because of the negative connotations with the word sin. The negative connotations with the word slim or slimming. And my girlfriend hates it because every time she says to me, oh, doesn't so-and-so look great? She looks lean. She never, never says lean or strong or anything like that. She's like, oh, she looks tiny or skinny or anything like that and i i can't stand that because i don't want people to simply associate people looking good or looking well because they're skinny because to me that's not health no. that's not the paradigm that us as coaches are, are trying to portray on people because i want people i want my clients to get to the age of 60 70 and if they fall over i don't want them to, spending six weeks in the hospital because over the age of 60 the biggest killer in people is falls exactly how mental is that that we've we've cultivated a culture in our country where if you're like the older you get the more chance you're going to die from falling over i literally throw myself on the floor every saturday at cricket and you've had 30 years i'd be dead apparently <laughs> I was going to say the difference is you throw yourself on the floor and you bounce, dust yourself up, and get up again. Yeah, and then you feel the pain a few days later. It's not ended up immediately. Yes, <laughs> but like when when my clients who are over 60, 65 I want them to be strong. I want them to have. I want them to eat good food, and I want them to fuel their body to the point of where they can get to ninety. Absolutely, I mean, one of the best. It's essentially investing in yourself now so you can take the equity out later in life is what it's doing. Yeah. Like nutrition is just a retirement. retirement because I've, I've said, I've asked this question to numerous people over the years. It's like, what does building muscle mean to you? And they instantly think Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hmm. I'm like, no. I was like, you don't realize how important it is to build muscle because of how much it protects you later on in life. So you don't have a fall, as you say. You don't have a fall and then end up in hospital or you don't break your arm, you don't break your wrist, or anything like that. It's protecting yourself. So you can still walk normally, unaided, without a stick, without a frame, needing a wheelchair, these sorts of things, unless there's something going on that's hereditary and that's going to happen to you anyway. But even still, you still need that similar core strength there. So yes, you know, you, I spend a lot of time in the gym, building muscle, training, that sort of thing, but it's for protection later on in life. Because it's that downward slope as soon as you hit the age of 30 where things start to atrophy and that sort of thing. As you get older, it gets even worse. You lose muscle mass and so on. But if you can protect that later, hence the reason why 
what people were saying just earlier was it uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's like 78 years old? 75. 75. So he would be knocking on to the age where he'd be coming frail, walking with a stick, that sort of thing. But he goes out riding his bike. He rides to the gym every morning. Yeah, I would, I would walk up to him and tell him it looks frail. No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't want a left hand from him, that's for sure. Um, it's all about that self-protection, which is what we try and translate into our clients. So yes, okay, there is a bottom line there of what they want to do. But it's about protecting yourself for later on in life is what it's all about. Not yes. necessarily yeah. to, as you say, look good, to look lean, to look muscular, to fall into any of those categories that social media have created. But it's all about health. That's literally all it's about because you want your body to be a health haven. You want it to work with you, not work against you your entire life. Yeah, I think one of the one of the best quotes I um I heard, Christina, I can't remember tell where I heard it, probably a podcast or something. But she you want to die as old as possible, as young as possible. Yeah. So you want to die at 90 feeling 60. Exactly. Like I look at my grandparents, like my grandma's 92. She's 93 this year. And she's only just started slowing down. It's the same with my nan. She was 92 weeks ago. She still walks into town. She still walks a distance, still gets on the bus, carries her own shopping home. And you think, shit, man, like you're 90 years old and you're still walking into town. I mean, it's more in sort of like the most sort of recent, like 18 months or so where she's walking with a stick and that sort of thing. But it's like some people get to 70 and they're at the point you're literally just getting to at 90 years old, nearly a century old, and you're literally only just starting to deteriorate as morbid as that sounds. Yeah, I wouldn't tell her that she's nearly a century year old, though. No, I wouldn't either. She would clip me around the ear. Last time she did that, she nearly took my ear off. (laughs) (laughs) She's got a stick now as well. She has. She can beat me with it. Yeah. Anyway, Paul, mate, it's been a pleasure having you on. It's been fantastic to kind of get into your mind. And I'm sure over the next sort of couple of weeks, once you make it to your photo shoot, best of luck with that as well, by the way, we'll uh, we'll jump on and do sort of like a bit of a recap. But hopefully this will kind of, hopefully settle a few things for a few different people. And if there is anybody out there that wants to reach out and say, look, this is what is behind Slimming World. This is how it works. I'm sure we're both all ears. So mate, you enjoy the rest of your Sunday and we'll catch up fairly soon. Cheers, Ross. Appreciate it. Take it easy, mate. Here's my bye.